We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Stop Talk Radio, the world for people who think. Welcome to Soft Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil Bradley, my co-host, Joe Quinn. Hi there. And we're joined this week by Soft Editor Harrison Keeley. Hi there. So, it's been another mental week out there. Uh, we're going to be looking back at some of those events this week, not least the launch of yet another U.S. war. It's hard to say the war actually was relaunched or just never stopped. When you look back at American history in Iraq, it's now a quarter century of sanctions, bombing, occupation, more sanctions, and now more bombing. So the ISIS threat has come to a head, and we heard statements early this week, a formal address to the nation from the naked emperor himself, Emperor Obama, the last, on Wednesday gave a statement to the American people about why the U.S. was again bombing Iraq. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want to hear it there? Yes, we do want to hear it. Uh, why, why was Obama talking about bombing Iraq again? Here you go. Thanks to our military and counterterrorism professionals, America is safer. Still, we continue to face a terrorist threat. We can't erase every trace of evil from the world, and small groups of killers have the capacity to do great harm. That was the case before 9-11, and that remains true today. And that's why we must remain vigilant as threats emerge. If left unchecked, these terrorists could pose a growing threat beyond that region, including to the United States. While we have not yet detected specific plotting against our homeland, ISIL leaders have threatened America and our allies. Our intelligence community believes that thousands of foreigners, including Europeans and some Americans, have joined them in Syria and Iraq. Trained and battle-hardened, these fighters could try to return to their home countries and carry out deadly attacks. I know many Americans are concerned about these threats. Last month, I ordered our military to take targeted action against ISIL to stop its advances. Since then, we've conducted more than 150 successful airstrikes in Iraq. But this is not our fight alone. American power can make a decisive difference, but we cannot do for Iraqis what they must do for themselves nor can we take the place of Arab partners in securing their region. And that's why I've insisted that additional U.S. action depended upon Iraqis forming an inclusive government, which they have now done in recent days. So tonight, with a new Iraqi government in place and following consultations with allies abroad and Congress at home, I can announce that America will lead a broad coalition to roll back this terrorist threat. 
A broad coalition of yes. a willing of the liars and manipulators. Um, it's kind of ridiculous. Note that it's retrospective. He's making the announcement, oh, just by the way, for the last month, we've carried out 150 bombings. Yeah, we, he doesn't need to let anybody know, you know. Uh, he doesn't need to, nobody less, less than, needs to let any Americans or, you know, anybody, uh, no political leader needs to let anybody know that they're bombing um, anybody else around the world. You know, it's none of their business, really, you know. It's only when it's... He just slips in there that about the regime change in, in Iraq. Oh, they need a new government, and, mm. <laughs> and they've got one now. Yeah, I mean, the only reason they need to let people know is uh, is to scare the people, mm-hmm. which is the point of the entire, well, what's one of the points of the entire ISIS or ISIL or ice cream, ice cream or whatever you want to call it, uh, is what it's about, you know. Um, it's basically about, uh, you know, Maintaining the elite, the elite, maintaining their their positions of power and control and wealth um, over you know resources, and ultimately it's also about indirectly or semi-directly about uh, keeping Russia and other non-U.S. aligned countries in the Middle East, <coughs> um, keeping them at bay, keeping them down, um, and thereby thereby maintaining the the Western elites positions of uh, privilege and power uh, that's their goal and the way they get people to at least acquiesce in it is by scaring them I mean if you think about this IS group I mean what's so what's so scary about them what's I mean what they're just a bunch of Muslims right I mean what's they behead people well exactly the only thing that came up the only reason why they shouldn't just be let them do whatever they want, right? I mean, it's democracy. Let let them sort it out, you know? That's what a lot of people would say. You know, it's none of our business. Let let uh, let those people in the Middle East sort out their own problems. Um, but the only reason that it is shoved under the noses of Western audiences is because Westerners are being beheaded. Without that, you would be entirely justified in saying, well, it's none yeah. of our business. What are we doing there? You, you know, well, he addresses that by saying there's no specific plotting that we've detected yet. But but all those noises you heard in the last month about the enemy at the gates, ISIS on the, on the borders of Mexico. Yeah, but that's all nonsense. Like, of course, of course. But there's, there's a throwaway line to to previous hints and threats about maybe they're out there. Yeah. Uh, boo. There you go. Booga, booga. About one of the beheaded captives... James Foley, his family uh, just made a faux pas by going public and saying that they were trying to negotiate directly for a ransom. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. government blocked them. Of course. Either because they knew he was dead or they wanted him dead or whatever. It was going against... Well, he was their main you know, propaganda piece in the Middle East. Obama couldn't have made that statement that we just listened to without James Foley and... Um, Sotloff and Haynes, his most recent English guy, without those three having been beheaded, in quotes, on, on, on video, um, he wouldn't have been able to make that, that speech uh, and have it be believed, essentially, or have it uh, uh, you know, take root in people's minds, essentially, or at least have people say, well, yeah, they are kind of scary, they do behead people, so we better do something about it, you know? But the way they, the way they blocked it was... 
horrible. Like they, they threatened the family with funding terrorism if they were to pay the ransom. Yeah. We don't we don't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah. Exactly. Because this is the unbelievable gall mm. from the people who gave these guys all of their weapons. Yeah. Uh, indirectly and directly. Yep. In Syria. Kind of ridiculous because the only way that if you think about it, this IS group are a bunch of let's say they're a genuine bunch of just fundy Muslim radicals like uh, what do you call that gang in the US? Uh, the God's Hate, God Hates Fags group. The Westboro Baptist Church. Baptist Church. They're kind of like them, you know, multiplied by 100 in terms of numbers and um, or 1,000. And um, the only way someone, if you imagine the Westboro Baptist Church rising to a position of kind of power, influence, or being able to, you know, spread through the country, the only way that can happen really would be if uh, American society was... Uh, the infrastructure and you know the society was destroyed largely or uh, largely broken up or you know essentially bombed kind of exactly like Iraq was uh, and then they were somehow had uh, backers and funders who would give them lots of money and weapons if, if the West Baptist Church was to do the same kind of thing in, in the US uh, the only reason that, that, that IS is able to do that <coughs> or what they're doing in Iraq is because Iraq was completely destroyed and um, through 10 years of U.S. occupation, and then that uh, opened the field for them to be, you know, given money from directly and directly from the U.S. and arms and training and stuff, uh, because it, it suits their purposes, you know. They want to be in the Middle East. They want to control the Middle East, and um, they're fighting against nature, essentially, because the nature of the Middle East, despite what uh, Western powers would say, the nature of the Middle East is uh, to be like any other part of the world, which is for people to live in countries or communities peaceably. You know, ultimately, that's what would happen. And when that happens, uh, America is kind of cut out, you know, um, because it's cut out of the game, because it's, it's it's a country thousands of miles away. It doesn't have any direct interest, at, at least from the people of the Middle East point of view, it doesn't have any direct interest in the Middle East. <clears throat> and has no right to have any... Uh, uh, to interfere in the Middle East. Um, so that's that's what would happen naturally in the Middle East, and the U.S. has to stop that from happening. So it essentially has to stop normal society from forming in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And that's what they've been doing since 2003. Uh, they've been doing it before that uh, under Sinan, but really it took off in 2003. And it's, you know, it's sick, really. It's, and not in the American sense of sick there, by the way. Because somebody posted to me that uh, posted that on a comment on Facebook. That is sick about some kind of funny video or something. And I was, uh, or some kind of, you know, some video was I thought was quite good. And then <laughs> he said it was sick. And I was gonna write. Do you know what the actual dictionary definition of sick is? Have you looked it up? Uh, but I realized he was using it in the weird topsy turvy world we live in, where sick sick means good. Yeah. Uh, whereas traditionally, and even in some places where people actually get sick, it's not seen as a good thing, you know. Um, so anyway, I digress. Well, part of the narrative Obama's speechwriters put into that speech was direct opposite of the dynamic you just described, namely, oh well, I suppose stuff has flared up in Iraq again. <sighs> I guess it's up to us to go in now. But 
what we really need is governments and allies in the region who will help us. So who's willing? Mm-hmm. And it's presented as we have to be there. there. There's no other, there is no other possibility. The more shrill they get about that, though, I think the more they run the risk of this awareness that the very last people who need to be anywhere other than within the borders of the United States of the American military. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's very transparent what they're doing. I mean, David Cameron, the British Prime Minister, said after this um, British guy, David Haynes, was quote-unquote beheaded on camera, um, he said today, um, Britain will take whatever steps are necessary to keep the country safe. I mean, it's such theatre. It's getting to the point where even, you know, I'm kind of still holding out hope that the average person in the street will start to go, this is, this doesn't sound sincere. You know, this sounds a bit like a setup. You know, it, it seems a bit too convenient here that, um, that, that this kind of stuff is happening and, and the way that politicians are responding to it, you know, we will take direct action and, you know, very, um, a bit melodramatic about it and, um, I'm even referring to, uh, as Cameron said, whatever steps are necessary to keep Britain, the UK, safe. Um, you're not striking, not talking directly to the, the hearts and the minds of British people. You know, we are here to keep you safe. And that is uh, what, that's the only thing they can hang their hats on these days because so many people are kind of disenchanted and maybe frankly disgusted with uh, politicians in general in the West. Um, the only thing they can fall back on is to try and scare people and then tell them that we're here to keep you safe. We're the ones with the money and the weapons that can keep you safe against the big bad boogeyman with the British accent on behind, you know, in front of the camera cutting people's heads off. I mean, that's scary. I mean, you can't get any closer to if they went any, any, any further with this piece of theatre, they would have some kind of, you know, they'd make a video with like scary sock puppets or something kind of Going, you know, going. Rah, rah, I'm going to eat you. You know, uh, you know. That's the next stage, basically, because it really is. This is as far as they can go with, and uh, keeping it somewhat kind of believable. If they pushed it any further, it would just, you know, so, you know, a green screen would suddenly back and appear behind one of these videos, and you know, and you'd see a couple of politicians from the West, you know, walking around there directing it, and you know. That's how bad it's getting. I mean, it really, for me anyway, it's they've been, it's re- they've been repeating the same story since 9-11 now, and it's just getting old. It's the same thing over and over. And Obama has just, you know, made this statement that sounds like it was written by George Bush's scriptwriters. And yeah. But even in that statement, it, it, pretty much every sentence was either wrong, just like directly wrong or obviously twisted. Like, And he even had to when he was talking about the same thing Cameron was talking about, about, about keeping America safe, he even had to admit that, okay, well, you know, we've made great strides towards keeping Americans safe from terrorism, but we actually haven't because there's still all these terrorist groups. And yeah. it's, the situation's pretty much the same as it was 14 years ago. Yeah. It's yeah. ridiculous. And th- there's still evil out there in the world. Yeah. The, the implication being our role and our mission what we're trying to do here is to eradicate evil in the world. When someone says something like that, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got to be thinking this person is mentally unhinged. Mm-hmm. If this is what all totalitarian type dictators, whatever, brutal, brutal, repressive leaders down through history. It's been the center of their their mission mm. to eradicate the evil other, whatever it is. It's nebulous. It's not really defined. But he came down to it and he came down and said, well, it's it's a war against evil. Mm-hmm. And by the very well, by the very definition of that in the, in the terms that he's phrasing it, it is an endless war. Yeah. Because you can't eliminate, there, there's always going to be these pockets of murderous bandits or mm-hmm. terrorists. Yeah, that appeals to people a lot, that kind of uh, rhetoric and that kind of use of language, uh, eradicating evil in the world. that appeals to people, I think, at a psychological level because... Um, there is evil. Well, th- there is, yeah, there is evil, but people aren't aware of what the evil, the, the true nature of evil is. And it's almost like... Um, People see their governments, they project onto their governments, you know, uh, kind of, uh, in a sense, they see them as acting in their name, you know, doing, that's what supposedly governments are elected for. You elect someone, even like, it's a, it's a version of a tribe, tribal community, you know, expand out into a nation, you know, people still look to the leaders of the tribe to take action in their name, to do things and to keep, uh, to even to absolve the community of any guilt and stuff and and, and by going around the world fighting even evil, it appeals to people that, in a way that um, it kind of absolves them of their own personal guilt and sense of sins. And it's very you know, religious orientated as well. Um, that's why they often throw in the idea that God, uh, God told me to do this, like John Kerry did recently. Um, but uh, said that the mandate for for what the U.S. was doing, specifically in relation to global warming. I think, and to saving the world from global warming, that it was God's mission, essentially, that uh, what the U.S. was was doing. Yeah. So, so they throw all this stuff in because it appeals to uh, people at a kind of fairly deep psychological level, you know, um, and and it works, you know. I mean, all you have to say for the average person is, you know, we're fighting evil, and at least show them an example of evil. That's why you have the beheadings. You need a little example of here's this is the evil. And we are fighting it. And, uh, and people think, yeah, that's good because, you know, ultimately I want to be a good person and I want to fight evil as well. And, you know, um, you know, it kind of absolves them in a way. If you beat it's, it's projection. It's kind of like a narcissistic almost projection in a certain sense where, you know, you're beating down the evil in the other or you project it onto the other and beat it down and kill them and beat them. And in some way, you think that you're absolving yourself from the evil deeds that you have hidden in your in your closet type thing. You know, yeah, it's all very, you know, freaky kind of, you know, uh, uh, psychological processes working there. And it's, I'm, I'm sure Obama and people like that don't. Uh, I haven't gone and taken classes in, uh, in in psychotherapy or psychology or anything like that to to understand this, but they they understand it in a in a visceral kind of way, you know themselves um, you know it's uh, I suppose it goes back to the whole that uh, system one and system two your kind of unconscious motivations you know uh, that are that play out you know and uh, nobody's really aware of their own motivations and, and what's going on in their own heads essentially and why they do certain things and uh, and psychopaths in power like Obama and, and the people behind him um, you know they're projecting outwards as well you know um, their own kind of demons and their own uh, 
but they do it in a certain there's no decency in them they just have a sim- they just simply have a destructive kind of principle operating at their at their ba- their basic substratum is is to control and destroy uh, other people and they uh, that motivation is channeled through their conscious and these are quite intelligent officially intelligent people and they can come up with quite smart intelligent narratives to justify this primitive drive to control and destroy you know um, so in a certain sense, there's a, there's a match there. You know, on the one hand, mm-hmm. the only people feel guilty about their own shortcomings and their own sinfulness. And, you know, they feel like everybody's told if you're in the Christian West, you're told that you're born with original sin. You're fundamentally, fatally flawed, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're reminded all the time by the media and society of, you know, what's good and what's bad. And most people are crossing the line a lot of the times in terms of uh, the Ten Commandments and stuff in different ways. They feel guilty about Um they don't, want to, they don't want to admit it to themselves, so then they find this external group exactly. that is doing something similar that they can punish to yeah. expiate their own so, guilt. Yeah, exactly. So the ordinary people are getting something out of you know, their leaders going off and killing you know, the evildoers around the world, because you know, that makes us good. Because if we're killing the evildoers, we're good. So I feel a bit better about myself. But uh, that's not the motivation. I mean, you, could see how, you can see how that's kind of, in a way, genuinely or, or fundamentally can uh, motivated by by uh, a sense of wanting to be better, wanting wanting to be better, or wanting to do good, uh, and that's the motivation of the ordinary, ordinary people in supporting this. But the psychopaths in power, their motivation just happens to coincide with that. But they uh, simply want to dominate and control others. Well, and that's what psychopaths do yeah. when they when they do something. It's it's almost like this automatic mechanism. I have no no idea how it works, but they will blame their victim for what they themselves are doing. Mm-hmm. And it seems, when you read transcripts or see interviews with them, it seems totally genuine. Mm-hmm. Like, but and yeah. how much of it is just this conscious lie that they're totally aware that they're the ones that have done that, and just to, just to get the victim, like just to, uh, to make the, the crime against the victim even worse, they blame the victim for what they themselves have done. Mm-hmm. Well, they see themselves as all good, yeah. right? Because uh, fundamentally, uh, that, uh, that subconscious level system system one i think is referred to in the, in the literature right system one uh, is just pure prime primal uh, motivations and if it comes from the self and there's no self-doubt or self-reflection in that way no questioning of the self which psychopaths don't really have well then that has to be good it comes from them therefore it's good it's what they want therefore it's good so no matter what they do it has to be spun by them by their system to their conscious mind uh, get fed this motivation of I want to destroy and kill and you know dominate other people. So they go ahead and do it. Then the narrative has to reflect how that is good. Why is it good? Because it's what I wanted. How could it not be good? Mm-hmm. I if I want something, it's for me. It makes me feel good. Therefore, it is good. And when I explain it to you, I'm going to explain it in terms that are good. That that make it good. So uh, that's, that's when, you, when, you, when you look at it from that level, it's kind of scary yeah. because there are, they are essentially just, this applies to most human beings as well, mostly robotic, unconscious people. I mean, everybody needs to read those books, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow and Strangers to Ourselves, to understand just how unconscious pretty much everybody is, how there is a hidden um, kind of uh, primitive unconscious. drive, unconscious drive within you uh, within your psyche that wants certain things and they're all fairly basic 
kind of uh, selfish, needy kind of things, you know, basic desires, basic needs. And your conscious mind serves the role of justifying those things to yourself and to other people. That's all it does. And the problem is that's the only part of you that you're aware of. So all you hear is the, is the narrative, the bullshit excuse as to why you did what you did to get what you got. And, you, and it's, very, it's very smart and can, can come up with all sorts of complex reasons why to explain the, why you did what you did. But ultimately, it's just because I wanted it. Cause, and it you know, basic kind of drives in human beings. That's what the explanation is. That's, that's where it came from. But you can come up with all sorts of highfalutin, complicated, uh, noble even reasons why you did what you did when in fact all you did, all, all it was was really, uh, you know, I wanted some, like in Gurdjieff talks about uh, <laughs> Gurdjieff's uh, raspberry jam or strawberry jam man, which was raspberry jam, you know, uh, when you kind of break people down and almost talk to this subconscious uh, you, the real you, the real driver, the real motivator, the one that has the, the power and the, the drive to, to influence your actions and your thoughts and your deeds. Um, when you break it down and you kind of maybe hit through hypnosis or something, talk to someone like that, all you get out of them is basic, I want the, a Twinkie. This makes me feel good. This, cause, why? Because it makes me feel good. The Twinkies are good. Uh, I want sex. I want, you know, money. to be, I want money, I want to be important. Somebody figured this out, because <clears throat> this is precisely the level of communication that advertising takes place in. Of course, yeah. You somebody, so, somebody knows that, but I think it's the marketing people who know it, you know, the people who actually develop strategy, they have to, like, we, we go back to Edward Bernays and stuff, there are certain people yeah. throughout history who, who understood this, you know, who looked at people. But it, it's almost like you... Uh, I don't know if all of them, I can't say all of, peop- all of the people who looked into this side of human nature, but certainly you, would, you could imagine how a, a psychopathic mind observing other human beings and their kind of, uh, the way that they are, uh, the, their motivations and the, the kind of foibles they have and you know, how they are very simplistic in their needs and, and desires. Someone, you could imagine that a psychopathic mind would be much well, well, would be very, uh, uh, very well suited to spotting that behavior in ordinary people. The basic, you know, yes or no kind of questions and answers based on their basic drives and needs, and to then define it and write about it like Bernays did in the book, and then develop a strategy mm-hmm. to uh, to exploit it. It's like scientists and lab rats. Yeah, you see, oh, you know, they really like that little food, that bit of food. So I'm going to see what I can do, what I can get them to do so that they yeah. can get that food, and then afterwards I'm going to, you know, cut off their head and study its brain. Yeah. But all the people who feel the same things aren't so, aren't so uh, able to, be, uh, to take that detached kind of scientific observation approach because they themselves feel the same drives. When they hear someone saying, you know, well, yeah, you know, talking about their own needs and the narrative that they come up yeah. with, they, they say, yeah, me too. Yeah, you know, so I like, know how you feel, yeah. I feel there's a commonality there, so they don't, they don't see themselves as different, you know. They're not observing other people with a kind of like, hmm, this is a strange creature. Watch how it uh, reacts when I say this to it or when I present this, uh, you know, Twinkie, Twinkie to it, you know. Yeah. I don't know where Twinkies are if coming from. If I just from, talk to it in a certain tone, yeah. it seems to change state almost, and yeah. then I suggest 
something. I yeah. didn't even tell him what I wanted him to do. I just suggested. And then of his own volition, he repeats it back to me as if it was his own idea. I know. Let's go and do this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's very much from the point of view that Harrison just said of uh, of a scientist being able to observe lab rats and have that to do it from that position of, of um, really observing, detached, totally detached, seeing uh, the the object of your observation as as a separate species, and which in the case of lab rats it is. But it's very strange to imagine a human, one human being doing that to another human being because it kind of precludes or, or presupposes the idea that they're in some way another species. They don't think in the same way because people are programmed to recognize their own species and they're supposedly built all the same way and most people have the same, you know, can understand each other's motivations and drives and needs. But it seems to be that there's certain people who can look at other human beings as a separate species and then devise ways to exploit them in the same way that a scientist exploits a, a lab rat. And it's a recipe for disaster because on the one hand, you've got all these people with these system one, system two dynamics going on and they, they've all created this mutual system of support almost, like you guys are saying, like, yeah, yeah, it's just like me. I know how you feel. And so you've got this mutually reinforcing system of self-deception and delusion. And then on the other hand, you've got psychopaths, essentially another species, who uh, can see all that and then just use it for their own benefit. Mm -hmm. And then you get this, when you go to the geopolitical sphere, even just politics, even just in one country, you get this system that is just completely opposite to the truth, where everything is backwards. So you can have you know, this speech from Obama where everything is completely backwards. There's no truth to it. Mm -hmm. and, and, yet, and yet it doesn't stand out yeah. to sufficient numbers of the population mm -hmm. because it is actually in tune with, with where they were at. It, it completely jars the head of someone who is looking at it on the side who's already seen the pattern and is just sick to the stomach again of hearing the same old lies and yet it, when they hear that it's in sync with what yeah. they know the way they're feeling about it um, the lab rat and scientist analogy Putin brought it up in passing mm -hmm. uh, in a press mm -hmm. conference shortly after the Crimea situation in March or so I'll never forget, he's, he's sitting there, just, you know, sitting casually in a chair, and it's kind of an informal press conference, taking any questions. And he just sort of stops at one point to reflect a bit, and then he brings up that analogy. Sometimes, uh, maybe he's been asked about what the, West, the U.S. is trying to do, and he says, really, it's sometimes it's like there are people over there, the other side of the pond, yeah. <laughs> the pond, the Atlantic Ocean, and it's like they see the world... Uh, as a as a laboratory, mm -hmm. and they moved the pieces, and, and he kind of trailed off and left it at that. If there's one, it's good to know that someone other than other than us yeah. is, is at least thinking about it in these terms, because it means that he's thinking and uh, at least responding or taking it on board. He in turn wouldn't react then and be, um, as, at least not be as much of a pawn to it because it is, they, they have so much power range behind them, military, economic, and so on, that it is kind of frightening. I think 
the only, I mean, uh, the only thing that can break that kind of spell for the masses of American people who remain in sync with this is a very serious shock, a sudden shock. There will be no coaching them out of this. There will be no uh, decent dish person rising to power and, you know, within a couple of generations, it will take a profound shock. Well, where are they going to get it? Because they won't find it from an enemy. There is no threat from Russia or anyone else. Well, an internal threat then, like uh, stemming from the system itself. So I don't know, like economic collapse, something close to home. Because, like you said, not, there's not going to be a there's very little likelihood of an actual external attack from a real external enemy. Yeah. but um, they've got the world sewn up basically. Uh, the only the only people in the world, the only nations in the world who could pose any kind of a, a threat in some way or other to the U.S. really is. Uh, uh, on a practical level and on an ideological level, in that they're ideologically in the right position or somewhere in the right position to be able to do it, was Russia and China. Um, there's pretty much no one else. Um, Europe is pretty much fully in the, in the U.S. It's the, the Anglo, Anglo-American camp. Um, yeah, know, Africa, South America, none of them are big enough, really. You know, And the U.S. has... The U.S. has made sure that um, even though there are some big countries around the world, when we look at uh, India, for example, has over a billion people, um, but the U.S. has made sure that um, militarily it's able to deter uh, threats um, from any any country uh, by building up their own military, by spending a massive amount of money on their own military and, and projecting their power around the world and going around invading other countries and stuff. They've obviously, it's, it's interesting because I don't think they did all of that over the past, you know, 80, 70, 80 years. Um, but, uh, it wasn't specifically to protect against external threats. I don't think it wasn't primarily that. Primarily it was greed that sent them around the world. And if you want to go around the world, if you want to go around your neighborhood, plundering other people's houses uh, and stealing from them, um, you probably quickly realize that to do that, you need to be well-armed. So you, if you want to go around and steal from all of your neighbors and dominate the neighborhood, you need to have the guns to back it up. But your primary, primary motivation there is getting stuff from other people, stealing other people's things, controlling and being the most wealthy uh, person in the neighborhood. Um, but then the... the, the the um, the weapon stash that you have that you have uh, accrued or acquired for that purpose acts as a deterrent from anybody trying to get their stuff back or bring you down <clears throat> bring you down a notch or two you know so um, I think I mean America being where it is it had to do that you know because it's it's over there across uh, across the Atlantic um, on its own it's separated by the Atlantic and the Pacific from the rest of the world, more or less, apart mm-hmm. from South America, but from the majority of the rest of the world, it's separated by two large oceans. So it had to uh, project its power around the world, you know, because it wanted, it wanted the best of everything and wanted what other people had and wanted to control the world, you know, whereas, uh, and it was uniquely positioned to be, able to, to, to be able to do that or to be able to think in that way because of where it was, you know. Um, countries in Eurasia, which is most of the world, uh, or at least 50% of the world, um, and even in Africa, 
which is all very close to your region, the Eurasian landmass, countries there uh, are probably less likely to think of dominating the entire landmass or controlling it because they realize it's made up of different peoples, different nation states. You're never going to be able to do that or hold that for long enough, you know. Uh, you realize the, re- the reality on the ground is, well, you know, we have to kind of cohabit here. We're all in one big chunk of land and we're all got our own little spaces type thing, whereas the U.S. is over there, one big country on its own, you know. Um, so it's, it's, I just find, find it strange the way history has evolved, you know, in, in terms of putting America yeah. where it was, you know, having the rise of America. I mean, basically the the elites from Western Europe, particularly the British, uh, they're sometimes they're, they're direct genetic descendants and certainly their ideological descendants of the, of the British in particular are now in power uh, in the U.S. You know, they're that white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, maybe, I don't know if it's Protestant, but white Anglo-Saxon anyway. Um, they're the people who rule, rule supreme, you know, and have done for the past, you know, three, four hundred years, you know. Yeah, the other thing that's amazing about it is, like, in the space of 20 minutes, we've boiled down this to the simplest essence of it. And yet, on a planet of some 7, 8 billion people, they can, um, their system two, system one, the narrative creator, has such enormous lateral width to create a complex, it is a, it is a complex system. I mean, to take over the world, ideologically, full spectrum dramas, you know, at media level, financial level, military, it's a vast, vast array. It's, in the end, it's a tiny planet, but it's still a big job. Yeah. So it's, it's amazing the scope with which it can take over, mm. uh, even though it, at its simplest, it's something that it's not hard to see. Mm-hmm. And if it were seen by by a lot more, the thing would implode and not work mm-hmm. the day after tomorrow will be finished. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. Just in terms of the IS group and uh, the way that um, the way the US has, and the British in particular, have been managing, and the Israelis have been managing the Middle East for the past you know, 60 years, particularly since the end of the Second World War. <clears throat> um, I mean, history is full of examples of fifth columns, uh, you know, Trojan horses, um, <clears throat> essentially a group. Enemy within. Yeah, in terms of uh, two warring powers. Um, I mean, that has, war has defined human history for pretty much ever. Um, but generally speaking, it was a kind of a genuine war for whatever stupid reason, but it was a genuine or, or selfish reason. It was a war between two, the leadership of two powers, let's say, or and certainly between the ordinary people who did the, who did the fighting. Um, and then this idea of a of fifth column or putting an enemy within, when you have an enemy, a genuine enemy, you plant your kind of uh, infiltrators or your spies or your group within uh, your enemy's country, you try and build it up so that it can then, at a certain point in time, betray your enemy in your favour. I mean, that's fairly normal and standard. That's happened throughout history, and it's uh, it's not unusual. But I'm not sure there's too many examples of what the US 
and also the Israelis have done, which is to kind of create an enemy uh, to this extent, to the extent that they have done to essentially uh, <clears throat> go about fabricating an enemy and then giving it life, like kind of like a Frankenstein monster, or you know, um, you know, because um, because that's, that's that's kind of strange because usually throughout history there's no shortage of enemies to fight against. I mean, I want, want to invade the Middle East. What should what should be happening now is that the, all of the uh, all of the powers of the Middle East, all of the countries of the Middle East, should be at war with the U.S. Or well, there should have been a war, you know. Um, but that's not really the way it's gone. There was, gone. There was no war uh, in Iraq. It was simply an invasion and an occupation. Um, there was no war in Libya. It was simply NATO bombing Libya. I mean, you know what I mean? And, and they do all these things, generally speaking, on the basis of a fabricated enemy that they themselves have had to create. It's like they find themselves, the U.S., psychopaths in power in the West and the U.S., find themselves in a position where... Um, they want to dominate and control the rest of the world, but the rest of the world doesn't want to fight. doesn't want them to dominate them and control them, but also doesn't want to fight them. And Yeah, they would happily accept crappy terms. Yeah. And just get on with life. Yeah. And they can't just, uh, for whatever reason, uh, they can't just walk in and take over places and say, we're taking over this country because we like it and we want all the goodies that you have in your country and we want to use you all as slaves. Um, it would be much better if they did that because then people would say, okay, well, no, we're going to fight against this, you know. But um, they can't do that because we live in such a, an enlightened age, right? And this is part of the deception, you know, that they get to do that um, by promoting the idea of democracy and freedom and all this kind of stuff. So it's very convoluted, you know. It's like we live in a... We're, we're much more evolved. We live in, in in the modern world, you know. We're civilized and stuff, not like the past, you know. Yeah. And uh, But essentially, in, but when you're promote, when you're espousing that, how do you do what you really want to do? Because that hasn't... The, the reality of, of psychopathic leaders are, you know, certain groups wanting to um, control the neighborhood or steal from their neighbors has never changed and hasn't changed in in all of history. It's exactly the same today as it was however many thousands of years you, you want to go back. But um, it's kind of, it's, it's strange. I don't, sometimes I wonder why we even got to the point of, did we even evolve? I mean, has anybody evolved? I mean, there's been, the, the, there's the lie of evolution. I mean, there's technological evolution, but in terms of human evolution, evolution of consciousness, human beings actually becoming better people, that hasn't really happened. I mean, they talk about it, but it hasn't actually happened. I mean, people can talk about the Enlightenment and all this kind of stuff, and science. Okay, science has gone some way down the line, but, I mean, technological evolution isn't actually true evolution. I mean, it's, it's some new toys. It's like giving a monkey, uh, you know, a, a cell phone. And because the monkey holds a cell phone, he's more evolved. No, he's not. He's still a monkey. He just has a cell phone, and he figured out how to use it call his friend and go <laughs> make monkey noises down the phone to, you know but it's not a, it's not a evolution but they talk about evolution they talk about freedom noble ideals you know so, I mean and the human evolution theoretically is going from a kind of atavistic kind of a state of, of being where you're just kind of like you know you don't really think very much you just go out and you just do the system one thing you know me want 
food, me want, man's wife, me want, you know, whatever yeah. anybody else has and get it. Uh, well, evolution from that would be where you start to not do that. We start to not kill and destroy. I mean, it's very hard to define what evolution should be, but theoretically it's that human beings should become uh, more civilized, i.e. not fight with each other, not kill each other, not destroy, start creating more things and being creative. So that's what civilization is. Has it happened? They talk about it, freedom and democracy, and we live in a civilized world, but all they do is talk about it. When you look at what they do, what they do is, for example, in Iraq and took for, for, for 10 years from 2003 until 2013, they destroyed it. So it's no different from a bunch of Neanderthals yeah. beating the heads of each other 5,000 years ago, you know, or 20,000 years ago, or 10,000 years ago. Well, I think there's a couple things going on. It's, I think you're right that there's there's been no real evolution. It's it's pretty much just the words have changed. But I think maybe the reason that's happened is that you know every once in a while there's a probably a genuine genuinely decent person or two that comes along and says, you know, we shouldn't be killing people. We shouldn't be doing these things. And so then what happens is people get behind that idea and the people in power say, okay, well, now we've just got to adopt these words and still keep doing what we're doing. Hmm. So gradually over time, we develop these concepts of democracy and freedom, civil society, and all these kind of uh, concepts that just become code words. And then they just, they keep doing what they've been doing. So no, I don't, you know, I don't see any real evolution only the words have changed but you know if you look back there have been people that have tried you know said a few of the right things mm. but it's just it doesn't seem to have taken it to the point where any real change has been instilled into the actual system no but uh, exactly how long ago uh, even know. the words are the same i mean mm. the roman republic yeah the the the, the demos the, the citizens voting the yeah. fact that it was called a republic while it had an empire that pretended not to be an empire, mm-hmm. uh, the the pleading of the oligarch, the the optimates, the the rulers of the time, the way they got the people in sync with them was, oh, but we do what we do to protect you from subversion, foreign enemies at the gates, of which there were from time to time, but as a response to their imperial plundering abroad yeah. and so on, and also subversion, democracy. They even talk about in terms of humanitarian values. Uh, it was a given that what they did was uh, for the good of all. But even, even, even after 2,000 years, their words are being read by our classics, academic mm-hmm. experts in quotes, mm-hmm. and taken at face value. Yeah. And those academics and scholars today who go on to train your Rumsfelds and your Cheneys and your Bushes, well, I don't think he took classics, but they are believing the same narrative. They're not actually getting the irony that, no, back then those florid terms were also a ruse. And yeah. Essentially the same kinds. Yeah, so, because, I mean, the point I'm trying to get at is that most people, if you went out onto the street today and asked most people, if we are more civilized or more evolved and more of a, you know, have, we have evolved today uh, to a much greater extent or we are more evolved than, say, the, the ancient Egyptians, people would say, yeah, or people, pick any people from <clears throat> more than 2,000 years ago, going back, you know, as far as you can, pick a name out of the book, you know, everybody would say, yeah, of course we are. But we're not, uh, even though we have the terms, and it's not even that, we have the terms that we think, like you just described, we think these terms go along with our uh, more advanced civilization and uh, evolved state of mind. 
freedoms and democracies and all this kind of stuff. But the, like you just said, they were being talked about, uh, you know, as far far back as you can go. You know, that's probably the kind of things that people were saying back then as well. I, think it's, I just think it's an important point to people for people to realize that um, uh, <laughs> nothing has changed from the dawn yeah. of modern human. Uh, civilization, as in, I don't know how far, obviously when you go back far enough, it goes back into the midst of time and you can't define it, but as far as uh, as is recorded in history and different civilizations, etc., there's no difference today uh, from from then in terms of the average person on the street, you know? I mean, look at this stuff on Black Friday and stuff, you know? Look at the way people react. Well, they're just reaction machines. People are exactly the same. They're, they're pretty much in their own primitive state, uh, the primitive state that they began in when human beings first formed, human uh, Homo sapiens first formed, that state that they that they developed into from an evolutionary perspective at that point in time, they are exactly the same today. No difference. It doesn't matter if they've got a, a cell phone or an iPad stuck to their face or, or their ear. They're exactly the same. Studies on the extreme version of the monkey you're describing, psychopath, are fascinating because... There are so many reports where uh, well-meaning researchers and therapists and doctors have people they suspect to be psychopaths brought into some kind of group therapy and in talking through their problems, the psychopath will convince the therapist that he's now safe to be whatever, released back into the community. And he is. And then in retrospect, the researcher realized that, to his horror, that what was going on was they were learning, they were acquiring new information, the psychopaths, and they were evolving, in quotes, to become better psychopaths. Mm -hmm. So you have here the polar opposite movement to the assumed, what is assumed when people talk about evolution, progress towards a certain goal, there are others amongst us. If their, if their whole polarity is going in the opposite direction, any idea of group civilization-wide evolution is therefore not even on the cards. It's not in the system. It's not programmed into it. Yeah, it's only pro- it's only, it only appears sporadically with odd members of the herd. You know, like a bunch of buffalo you know, um, thundering across a plane for no apparent reason, <laughs> just because they got spooked by something, you know. And one of the herd, gopping and stepping outside, going, what? And, and just looking at everybody else, all the rest, just charging ahead, doing one following the other, uh, and one of them stepping aside and going, why are we doing this? What? Remind me again why we're charging mindlessly down this, um, this prairie. Uh, so that seems to be what happens. And, but in a certain sense, if that's uh, an apt description of human beings, and, and essentially there's a herd mentality and they're very easily spooked and programmed and directed in one way or another, then true evolution, the first step of true evolution would be that one buffalo human stepping outside, stopping and looking <clears throat> at that dynamic and seeing its own part in it and seeing itself as now having stepped outside of it and wondering about those kind of things, you know, simply being thinking, truly thinking, critically thinking for, for yourself and not um, 
not just uh, following the dictates of you know an authority or whatever spooks you, which is usually in human terms an authority that spooks people in one way or another. And by spooks, I mean yeah, it can be fear-based, but it can also be desire-based or you know carrot on a stick-based, whatever you know. Simply being able to stop and be uh, you know see yourself as your own your own authority essentially for a moment. That for me is. Not only would that be one, I'm not saying it's the only one, but it could be the first step in evolution. But right now, it would be very useful. Uh, very useful would be the right first step uh, because of the, the conditions on the planet for people to stop and question the authorities and think of themselves as their own authority and not need, not have that visceral need to believe in authority and to have an authority. As David Cameron just said, uh, keep everybody safe. We will do whatever is necessary to keep you all safe, even if it means throwing you all in prison. We will keep you safe in prison. But if I think if you were to if you were to ask a member of that herd before they take off on the prairie, they'd all tell you, "Oh, you know, I I wouldn't take off. You know, I wouldn't go with the herd." Hmm. And the the way that plays out is that we've got like a society in the states that thinks of themselves as more evolved and more civilized. You know, they live in their suburbs and you know they go and buy their groceries and their they their everyday life is pretty uneventful but they don't see that just how fragile that whole system is if we go over to east ukraine and just see what has happened in such a short period of time and this dynamic plays itself out in country after country where there's some sort of crisis the situation the uh, civil and political situation is destabilized and then people become monsters, or more accurately, I think, the monsters come out of the woodwork. And then you get people just committing the most vicious, horrible crimes in this war zone, and it's just it's something out of a horror movie. And then people from these uh, civilized countries look over there and say, oh, well, you know, look at those monsters over there, when they were exactly the same before they yeah. started. <clears throat> and they don't realize that can happen to them, yeah. that that's in them as well. Yeah, and they're just on the edge. Exactly. It's frightening. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's so important to, to observe all of this, and that's why kind of understanding and reading these books that we're talking about in modern kind of cognitive psychology and how it explains many of the actual kind of teachings or uh, the kind of secret teachings of, of esoteric groups, mystical groups and stuff. I mean, there's a few others, but one of the primary ones would be about the nature of human beings and how they mm. how they are and what what their nature is. And if you don't understand your own nature, well, then you're a slave to it. You know. Yeah. So it's real. There's there seems to be a real dividing line there between. And I'm not saying anybody can turn around and wake up in this way. I'm just saying that it, it is possible. Uh, obviously, because there are examples of people who do do this, but there are many more examples of people who don't. <clears throat> who simply run with the herd. And think they're choosing to run with the herd. This is my choice. That's why I'm running with the herd because that's what I choose to do. Uh, but they don't understand, uh, you know, the reasons that they're sticking with, you know, the authority, sticking with the herd, sticking with uh, the, the, the status quo type thing, you know, because it makes them feel safe, comfortable. They don't, you know, it's, that's too much to get into that, all of that now anyway. But anyway. well, no, it's it's important that, that there's some 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 kind of fundamental polarity. At the base of it all. I mean, while those scenes of American journalists being beheaded are aired across 300 million plus, uh, two, 300 million plus people in the US, the primary function of it is to be to produce fear 
at a subtle low level enough. It's horrible, it's in your face, but it's not happening right next to you. Nevertheless, the programming is fear. At the same time, Obama, I don't know if we included that in our short script of it, but in his speech, he reminded people that thousands, his quote, thousands of people from the US and Europe are going to Syria and Iraq to partake in it. I've got another report here from a French newspaper. Just in the last 10 days or so, another thousand French people, mostly male teenagers, early 20-somethings, are, they're flocking to Syria. They see this and they go, awesome. Oh, I cannot wait to get involved in this. It's, a, it's the opposite reaction. Mm-hmm. Of course, then there's a question of how exactly well, they get they get to go there, but yeah, well, we don't know the answer. We suspect it's because they're more more than facilitated in getting yeah. there. I think at a deep psychological level, uh, when people see these beheading or hear about them or whatever, they what they're being told is this is you, this is what you could do. This is at, at a deeper level. This is your human nature. This is because you're a part of the human family, right? So this is your your own nature, your own darkness within you is is being displayed on the screen here, and we're going to go and kill it. Don't you want us to kill your darkness? Kill all your sins and all your evil. Let's go and kill it. Yeah. Uh, but there's a there's a there's a con involved in that because it's a lie, and uh, by they're getting people to acquiesce or condone the killing of this uh, evil projected outwards. Uh, but what they're doing is killing ordinary people, killing innocent people, people who aren't like that. So they create this boogeyman, this 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 caricature of the evil that uh, that they say or which probably is within most people but not generally manifested uh, and people fight against it and people have another side as well. But psychopaths in power only have that evil side. Uh, and they want to encourage people to, to participate in the evil doing by deception. They, 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 they manipulate them psychologically to participate in the deception. For example, uh, most Americans, if they could get anybody uh, associated supposedly with IS into Guantanamo Bay for 10 years of torture, they would be fully, fully supported, you know. And when, the, when their leaders say, this is what we're doing, we're having to torture, we torture some folks, you know, as Obama said, well, uh, that's okay. So uh, in the, by this manipulation, they're actually getting people to participate in uh, evil uh, by uh, convincing them that they're fighting against evil. You know, uh, and there's different levels in that. Obviously, just consciously, people say, yeah, let's fight against evil, but there's an emotional component to it. When people are emotionally enthusiastic about putting down evil because it makes them feel better at an emotional level that they can't really describe. And it's only when you look into the details and see what's actually going on and you realize that you're actually being a, a, a partner or, a, or a, um, an accomplice yeah. in... Per, per, or, uh, and committing the evil that you want to eradicate, that people will go, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't do that. But it's hard to, you yeah, know, it takes few a few of the numbers who come to that insight. So going back to this coalition, uh, do you guys know who, who so far is on board with it? Because I know that uh, they don't say Canada. I oh. think Canada and Australia have pledged of course. allegiance. But of course, I, it's the Anglo-Saxon yeah. club. Well, there's a Western coalition, but there's also 10 supposedly Middle Eastern or Arab states 
were part of it as well, but they haven't said who it is. I think Turkey has said they weren't going to be a part of it. And uh, I think that came as some well, of a shock. But there have been a few, people, a few countries that have said, no, they won't. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure most of the kind of um, monarchies in the Middle East will be happy to go along with it. <laughs> it's bizarre, you know, that they're doing, the U.S. is doing a number, and, and Israel is right in the middle of this as well, doing a number on these monarchies, Saudi, Qatar, mm-hmm. Bahrain, um, in particular Jordan. Uh, they create this IS group, which very clearly has the potential to get rid of these monarchies if it just so happened to have a brainwave one day in the form of a U.S. State Department cable telling them that they should invade Saudi Arabia. Uh, The Saudis see this as a threat, so they're only too happy to go and uh, engage in, you know, uh, this coalition or be part of this coalition to to wipe them out. Uh, I'm sure they're aware that that's why there's there's been a reluctance all along. Like, the Saudis didn't have any didn't take any part in the invasion or attack on Iraq in 2003 or at any time thereafter. They allowed their bases to be used uh, by by the West, by the US and stuff, but they didn't actually take part in any direct attack and they've been quite reticent about involving themselves in attacking any other Middle Eastern country, including any groups, any kind of, um, kind of Muslim or you know, Al-Qaeda or anything else, any other name you want to come up with, um, because they probably realize that this is just a, it's a bit of a charade, you know, and they don't know what uh, game precisely is being played here. I don't know what the intentions, they're very suspicious of the intentions of the U.S. as far as they are concerned, you know. Uh, well, can we really trust the U.S.? Well, the Saudis can't trust the U.S. because, you know what, the Saudi regime, you know, um, the Saudi monarchy with its... Uh, with its 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 um its king and the and his five thousand children and cousins and second cousins who are all the the leaders of that society, they could all be gone in a day. And someone else could be waiting to just take their place. It doesn't matter to the US, you know? And the US senator US Senator yesterday said uh the reason why America was quote blindsided by the rise ISIS, it wasn't, of course, but he gets the statement that the reason we didn't see this coming is because we have been ignoring the Saudi role in 9-11. I mean, they're keeping that on the back burner. There's been a few noises in the last year. Yeah. You know, any time now we could let our people know and therefore mm. give ourselves just cause for doing whatever we like yeah. in well, the kingdom. I don't think they'll as the kingdom. They're, I think it's they're a bunch of they're a bunch they they're too fanatical. They're too good in that sense. They're a bunch of crooks. They're, you know? they're, they're, they're like the mafia. You know, mafia gangs doing deals with each other, and then at a drop, drop of a hat would 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 screw each other over. You know, that's pretty much the game they're playing. And in terms of cutting people people's heads off, you know, in in the few weeks prior, a couple of weeks prior to the first beheading of uh, James Foley. Uh, Saudi Arabia cut the heads, the state government cut the heads of 19 people. And of course, Saudi Arabia is, you know, best friends with America. I mean, Saudi Arabia chops heads off almost every every week. Head cutting comes from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a that's a it's a it's a direct link to the origins of this IS group and the ideology. Uh, 
and the ideology is simply money and wealth and power. Well, that's all they want. Forget about Muslim or Islam or religious ideology. They don't care. It's about mm-hmm. control and power. And a lot of the funding um, that's gone from the, the states towards the so-called moderate rebels in Syria and all these groups that have kind of morphed together to become ISIS or IS, that stuff, that, that support gets funneled through Saudi Arabia and Jordan and Turkey. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's like the, the U.S. is kind of one step removed mm-hmm. where, and I, I think that's another thing, kind of like the, the statement about the, the whispers of Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia's role in funding the you know, 9-11 or whatever connection they allegedly have. It's that, okay, well, you know, we've put you in between us and what's going on. And the on. bus, and we could throw you under exactly. it mm-hmm. at any moment. Yeah, they're just playing the game of who can out-psychopath the other, you know? Who can uh, out-strategize in that cold, clinical, psychopathic way of thinking where you don't have any emotional considerations at all for, uh, for what you have to do to get what you want. And that is a massive advantage to these people, uh, to these uh, this species of human being where they have no foibles, no qualms, no emotional considerations whatsoever. And it makes war, making war uh, extremely easy, uh, even though they have to involve uh, themselves in all sorts of deception and duplicity. That comes, that's second nature as well, you know, because they just think of what, uh, what the way they were wanted to be. Uh, and then they tell everybody that's the way it is. That's a deception, but for them, it's just straight up, this is the way it is because we create our own reality, etc., etc. Uh, and compare that to the kind of um, the kind of considerations and thought process that someone like Putin has to uh, go through when, because it seems to me that Putin uh, actually does care about civilian casualties. He doesn't care about ordinary people. He doesn't want to just... Uh, uh, he doesn't just run roughshod over uh, civilian casualties and, and get, not give it a second thought. You know, it, it's, a, it's a major concern for him. And for example, in Ukraine, um, I can imagine how difficult it was for Putin and his the people around him to de- to to um, develop a strategy for helping the Eastern Ukrainians, uh, helping the rebels without igniting a full-scale war where a large number of civilian deaths would be ultimately on his hands or he would feel responsible for it, at least part, you know, 50% responsible. If he floods uh, eastern Ukraine and gives the rebels all sorts of you know, weapons and airplanes and tanks and everything so they can just march through Ukraine, obviously he's going to meet resistance. You know, and NATO and the U.S. are going to respond in kind. Right there, you have the rest, a recipe for uh, a major, major conflict in a country of 40 million people, and you're going to have hundreds of thousands of dead civilians. Now, I mean, it's not—you don't have to be too smart to much to see how that's where that's where it would go. So, how do you how do you develop a strategy to try and uh, win the the conflict, or at least get a stalemate where you know you haven't lost uh, what you're trying to achieve without uh, without causing a large number of civilian casualties, and uh, it becomes extremely difficult, extremely murky, extremely uh, problematic. 
And, you know, the problem is if you have a conscience about things, you know. I mean, if you're given the order to send weapons to a country, I mean, people don't do that enough, you know. When they look at, people are trying to analyze the, the kind of uh, geopolitical situation on the planet right now. Um, they don't put themselves in the position of the people making decisions enough. They don't really think about if I was doing this, how, you know, follow, follow through with the permutations. Mm-hmm. Think really what you would have to do. Think about all the implications of your, cho- your decisions. Yeah. And, and, and people should do that because if they did, then they would quickly realize that they would see the difference between the way Putin acts and the way the West acts. The West acts in a clean, clinical, unemotional, psychopathic way, and Putin doesn't. Well, people, people on that note, people who are basically cheerleading whatever Putin's strategies are towards Ukraine have come out criticizing his move for a peace conference that resulted in the talks in Minsk mm-hmm. and the nominal ceasefire that is currently in effect in Ukraine. Mm. As but but why you had the upper hand, you know, betrayed them. The, the militias were doing well. Yeah. As, as if as if it were that simple. I know, but people think you know? it is that simple. People don't understand what's really going on and the fact that Ukraine is a part of a much bigger picture. It's a part of a struggle between East and West, but between the American Empire and the Anglo-American Empire on one hand and uh, Russia and its allies, whatever allies it might have, on the other. And it's a struggle for um, survival essentially, because if the U.S. is allowed to continue on, uh, as it has done, then we're all screwed. The entire world is screwed. They're going to run it into the ground and then just walk away without any regret whatsoever. They won't care. So they, Putin and his people see that, have seen that happening for a long time and have tr- are trying to do something about it. So, and Ukraine is part of that. Ukraine was is one battle in, uh, in that broader war. And once you start looking at it from that point of view, well, you know, rebel leaders in eastern Ukraine may want, you know, an independent Novorussia. And they say, well, why can't we have one, you know? We, we shouldn't settle for anything else. Because, you know, they, all they think is that it's just about, they think that it's just about Eastern Ukraine and their independence. They don't realize, I mean, probably a lot of them. You would think that the, 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 the higher level leaders would be communicating with Russia and trying to understand, but I think in recent times there has been some um, kind of a dispute or disagreement between Moscow and, you know, the guys in Donetsk in terms of, especially in terms of the ceasefire that you mentioned, um, because there's that mismatch or lack of understanding between the two in terms of Moscow's fighting a, essentially a world war and the people in eastern Ukraine were simply fighting for independence of eastern Ukraine. But the bottom line for the people in eastern Ukraine is that they need the support of Russia. So they have to play the game the way Russia sees it. They have to un- take, take a back seat essentially in the broader war and follow the strategy that the Russians are employing. In this regard, the charge from the West that they are under the thumb of Moscow is correct. 
and thank God, because without it, yeah. <laughs> the world would already have imploded. Um, the Eastern Ukrainians are under the thumb of Moscow? Yeah. Well, of course they are, yeah. yeah. I mean, when they tried to go down into... You notice that the, the ceasefire was uh, announced or brokered by Putin uh, just as they were heading further kind of uh, west down towards Mari- Mariupol. I mean, you're going into Mariupol and your support there is, you know, it's not so clear-cut anymore. It's not 90% or 95% in support of uh, an independent Eastern Ukraine. You're, you know, you're still in Eastern Ukraine, but you're pushing into the kind of center. And if you don't have the support of the ordinary people, you're going to, you know, you're really, you're starting, you're really going for a real kind of civil war at that point. There's no civil war in Ukraine right now because it's simply the, the Ukrainian army against uh, people who want to be independent. And ultimately, if they have their way, they would be independent. So it's not a civil war. What would be a civil war would be if all of the people from eastern Ukraine with the backing of Russia spread further into Ukraine. And you had people who are uh, extremely against or decidedly against the idea of independence and wanted to be Ukrainian if they started taking up arms. Then you have a civil war. And I think that's what Putin wanted to stop, wanted, wanted to not see happen. Well, and, and that's why he broke with the ceasefire, and that's yeah. why the Eastern Ukrainians, some of them, aren't happy with it. But they didn't understand, they don't understand that because they're, you know, maybe not that clued in about the implications of it. You know, they don't have the high position of Putin to see the kind of broader picture. And the push to Mariupol had happened after, like, a series of pretty stunning successes on the part of the Novorussian armed forces. So, you know, Strelkov was kind of, well, there's rumors about what really happened, but it seems like he was forced out in some way to resign. And then right after that, you have uh, Zakharchenko and a, a whole host of you know, new leadership that gets basically put in place in Donetsk and Lugansk. And then they go on the offensive and they end up taking a whole bunch of, uh, you know, regions and towns and, and cities that they'd lost beforehand. Mm-hmm. So they were really kind of riding on a wave of, of success. Mm-hmm. And so then they're going, you know, they've got... They've got all this kind of adrenaline. They're going down to Mariupol, and that mm-hmm. was kind of like almost like a suicide strategy. Yeah. So it seems like it was almost, you know, this. I don't know if if this is actually what happened or not, but this ceasefire came right at the at the right moment, not only to buy some time, right as the NATO summit was happening in Wales, mm-hmm. but also to stop this what could have been a disaster mm-hmm. from happening. Yeah. Um, and and so, like you're saying, Joe, most of the people don't think above like a certain level mm-hmm. and so they can't see that there's a, a bigger strategy going on even for their own protection mm-hmm. that um that came at the right time and even if the even if this uh ceasefire which um you know it hasn't really been um followed by kiev or donetsk there's still fighting going on and there was just uh, apparently i think just today there was uh, a big fight going on in i think it was the donetsk airport mm-hmm. um you know, after eight days, but this ceasefire, um, if there were a few important or interesting things that came about from it, one was that Putin was actually, and Russia was actually a part of making the document. So officially, you know, Russia is, is now involved in some way. Mm -hmm. If there's a, um, a break in the ceasefire, Russia has a legitimate, tied to the situation. They've got a legitimate reason for taking some mm-hmm. further action. Also, th- while the, like Zakharchenko and the, I can't remember the other guy who was, who was there representing Lugansk, 
while they weren't while their positions weren't listed and there's no no reference of the people's republics the fact that there was um this collaboration or even just talks between the two of them it's like it gives a certain legitimacy to them to the fact that they were brought to the table mm-hmm. so there's actually some interesting things going on with this ceasefire or uh, this this whole agreement even if the wording isn't right even if you know it, it probably won't last that long i think it's it's uh, an interesting precedent to send or to to yeah to start to set by bringing bringing in the the leaders of Novorossiya mm-hmm. and Russia mm-hmm. yeah i mean people like you said people don't think uh, a lot of people don't think um a few moves ahead, mm-hmm. but you have to, and you have to have had the experience of uh, that that allows you to think in that way. Uh, essentially, by making mistakes or being in situations where you took some action and then didn't um, didn't foresee the implications or the knock-on effects, you know, um, and to and to be in a position like Putin is to looking at it from a global perspective and knowing your enemy and and being able to see a few a few steps or a few moves down the road and having that longer term strategy is very important because if you're just impulsive and act in the moment um, then you're very often these days you're playing into the hands of your enemy because they've seen that, you, that you're, an emotion, you're essentially reacting emotionally and, and you can imagine the Eastern Ukrainians most of them fighting yeah. from the, just the ordinary guy up to through the kind of ranks whatever system they have that they're all very much identified with uh, having an independent country. I mean, they've fought and they've seen their friends and their families killed by Kiev. They, they've seen their fellow rebels killed. I mean, that creates a very, a very strong identification and emotions associated with what you're fighting for. I've sacrificed so much. And that's why you need somebody above you who can take a more detached view of it while still sympathizing and empathizing with it, but say, listen, it's even more emotionally charged than that because consistently the Kiev forces are playing dirty, really, really dirty, whereas for the most part, the rebels are, I mean, of course, it's their country, it's their people. They're not going out of their way to actually terrorize the local population, unlike Kiev, which has has far less, at least most of its members would have far less of an emotional attachment to those people. I have none, but the people... The I mean, rebels. the ceasefire, no sooner was it announced than Kiev broke it right away and have consistently bases and bases. Yeah. I mean... Because they have nothing to lose from um, from civilian dead. They have everything to gain from dead, dead civilians in eastern Ukraine. The more dead civilians, the better, as far as they're concerned, because it's from those civilians that the rebels, again, uh, get a lot of support for what they're doing. I mean, they can't do anything. By definition, the fact that when, when a group of people can wage a guerrilla, whatever you want to call it, war against a state power in an area and do it for a long enough amount of time, by definition, that means those people deserve or entitled, have a right to what they are asking for. Because it means that the majority of the population in that area, even if it's a small area, that the majority of that population uh, want, want it. You know what I mean? It's not a terrorist 
operation. It's not a terrorist organization. It's not, the, as Kiev called it, an anti-terrorist operation that they're fighting. They're fighting against the will of the majority of the people in eastern Ukraine to decide their own future. And that's fundamentally unjust. And, you know, everybody has to face some hard uh, choices and uh, harsh reality now and again. But the fact for for Ukraine is that the history of the country means that it was never really uh, cohesive in any way. And therefore, you know, tough shit. I mean, if you want to be a good person, if you want to be decent and honorable, then you let eastern Ukraine have its independence because everybody there wants it. What are you going to do, kill them until they don't want it? If you kill them, they're going to want it even more. How stupid do you have to be? But that, that seems to be playing into the, the bigger picture here because one part of the bigger picture is that Kiev and the West has been baiting Russia into a war. It's like they want Russia to enter a big military conflict. And so by committing so many atrocities against the East Ukrainians, um, they're fostering this really strong wish for independence, which acts as a pull on Russia to get involved, which would bring about exactly what they want, which is an, an armed intervention to start a big military conflict. So it's, it's all the, the, the rebels and the rise of Novorossiya is almost playing right into the hands of the West by creating such a, a demand for Russian intervention. Well, that's what they tried. I'm sure yeah. they thought about that. But what they don't seem to have bargained for is the way Putin has played it. Exactly. In that's why they have to make stuff up. Yeah. I mean, as long as you know. I mean, they may have had this you know, sneaky plan to do what you just described. But uh, it's not a sneaky plan if Putin knows about it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it doesn't work then. Because he's seen your plan and has mm-hmm. uh, chosen a course of action that essentially thwarts your plan. So you've got to come up with an even sneakier plan. And eventually run out of sneaky plans. And you just got to go in and say, okay, weapons of mass destruction, we're going in. He's a Hitler. Uh, Let's bomb him. Munich, yeah. appeasement. Uh, <laughs> they're running out of crappy historical analogies. To, to well, now they're just taking pictures of combine harvesters and calling them yes. artillery. <laughs> grainy satellite images. Yeah, yeah grainy, grainy being the operative word. Maybe Brad Launcher. <laughs> Maybe a green launcher. <clears throat> well, uh, someone in Kiev, I think a Kiev minister, yes, the defense minister, blurted out the obvious by saying that NATO has started supplying weapons to Kiev. And then he was quickly told to shut up by the U.S. State Department. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> you know, to keep up tense that that's not what they're already doing. But as you pointed out, Yourself recently, Joe, part of the game is that Russia pretends that it is not doing the same. Yeah. And it is. Well, of course it is. Um, but Putin is simply playing the game uh, according to the rules established by mm-hmm. the West, which is that you lie and lie a lot uh, and lie big. So, I mean, he's not so stupid as to say, okay, well, I'm going to counter lies with a big load of truth because. Um, he realizes that the war is essentially for people's minds. The only way you're going to win, essentially, is to, is to disinfect the minds of Western people and as many people in the world as possible uh, of these lies that have, they've been infected with uh, from the West, like calling Putin Hitler, Putin's trying to reestablish the Soviet Union, blah, 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 blah. 
um, he has to not play into those that, that are, give um, any evidence uh, for Western people that that defamation or that slander is true. Therefore, he can't invade Ukraine and say, yes, I'm going to invade and blah, 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 because that will be spawned as well. You see, he's Hitler. He's, he's, he's trying to recreate the Soviet Union. So he's, you know, in a very difficult position where he has to consider many, many variables and many steps down the line. And he has to play the game. He wants to change the rules of the game, but to get to the point where he can choose them, be in a position where he can, ch- or, or, be in a position where he can change the rules of the game, he has to for a while play by the rules of the, of the game. Which is say, this is nothing to do with us. There are no Russian soldiers in Ukraine. There is no Russian weapons in Ukraine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, when clearly there is. But that's has that is that not what the U.S. has been doing for has been doing for for decades. Uh, arming, you know, groups around the world to do exactly the opposite mm-hmm. of what Putin is trying to do. Putin, if he is arming, which he is probably arming Eastern Ukrainians, he is doing it for the purpose of supporting their desire for independence and true freedom and democracy, or at least a truer version of it than they have right now. Whereas the West, the U.S. in particular, for decades has been arming and funding uh, groups around the world to get rid of... To thwart democratic expression. Yeah. And they're open about it. They talk about, we need regime change in this country. And they openly fund the rebels in Syria. Mm-hmm. And they're totally open about it. They say, oh, and we're increasing how much money we're giving to the rebels in Syria yeah. to take down Assad. But the point being that uh, those rebels are not fighting for freedom and democracy yeah. in Syria... They're fighting for their own, uh, you know, their own position to power. They want to be in, in power. They don't care, and they're willing to kill as many people of any uh, uh, orientation, religious orientation, Sunni, Shia, uh, etc., to get there. Um, now and then, U.S. officials actually come out and reveal the truth strategy, what they're really trying to do. It's generally former members of cabinet, government or senators. Let's listen to what Condoleezza Rice described going on geopolitically back in May or so. We need to have uh, tougher sanctions and I'm afraid at some point this is going to probably have to involve oil and gas. Uh, The Russian economy is vulnerable. 80% of Russian exports are in oil, gas and minerals. Uh, people say, well, the Europeans will run out of energy. Well, the Russians will run out of cash before the Europeans run out of energy. And I understand that it's uncomfortable uh, to have an effect on business ties in this way. Uh, but this is one of the few instruments that we have. To, over the long run, you simply want to change the structure of energy dependence. You want to depend more on the North American energy platform, the tremendous bounty of oil and gas that we're finding in North America. You want to have pipelines that don't go through Ukraine and Russia. Uh, For years, we've tried to get the Europeans to be interested in different pipeline routes. It's time to do that. Yeah, so there's basically two stalls in a market, Mm -hmm. and people uh, prefer one stall over the other, and the guy who is less favorable, who has a stall that's less favorable, He's coming up, or she's coming up, um, with a plan to screw over the guy 
beside them uh, who's getting the business because, well, it makes sense and people want his business. Want by putting business. sanctions on his ability to sell. By identifying, as she said herself, his vulnerabilities and exploiting them. Now, by any, in, in, by any standard... Note that, that she said simply. Yeah. Absolutely no foils for all the on. suffering just that go ahead. Yeah, just go ahead no, and do it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, by any standard, that's, uh, that's not, um, not nice, not fair. Uh, and this is what I've often thought. Uh, I, I wish that uh, people would come out and say more uh, of the things, things like that, that Condoleezza Rice just said, you know. Like you just said, it's people who are now out of government feel they're freer to talk and stuff and they let slip in private interviews, etc. Uh, because they, they, they're not going to be called in, you know, given a load of crap for, for saying it. Uh, but it happens so rarely. But I wish they would just come out and state clearly uh, what, they, what they want. But you realize that they can't. They realize that they can't come out clearly and state what they want and how they're going to go about getting what they want because everybody in the world will say, that's not fair. Hang on a minute. That's not nice. That's not, that's not freedom and democracy. That's not, that's not uh, noble ideals that it's America will find market. on. No. Uh, but it would be so much easier, you know. But the, of course, I'm living in La La Land because in that reality, like I just said, it would be plain for everybody to see who the bad guy was and who the guy was who was simply trying to get along and say, listen, you know, if I'm just, you know, graced by the gods that I have lots of, you know, products that people want to buy and people like my stuff, well then, you know, lucky me. And if you don't have it, well, okay, that's not good, but maybe we can work something out, you know, that kind of, you know, fair dealing basically. But, um, yeah, La La Land. And those tremendous resources in North America. I mean, what are we talking about here? Yeah, tremendous resources. The tar, the tar sands or whatever they're called up in Canada that's destroying the place there. Yeah, fracking that's, uh, fracking causing, that's causing earthquakes all over the place. And polluting people's water, setting it on fire. Um, they're literally driving America into the ground in the course that's of doing everything. That's what's going to happen. And what's amazing is that you know, Putin talks about a, a multipolar world you know, where people kind of do business relatively fairly uh, and get on. Um, He's trying to present the idea or the image of a better world and trying to, at this point, make it it a reality over a longer period of time. And uh, because he sees that if if the U.S., because they're a bunch of psychos, they don't see... It's not that they don't see. Maybe they don't see, but they certainly don't care about the results of their actions. If they get some data that conflicts with what they would like to be the truth, well, then they completely ignore it. They just, that, that's, that's not real. It can't be real because I don't want it to be. Uh, what I want to be real is that America has just discovered a bounty of, uh, of, of oil and gas and, you know, Twinkies growing under the ground <laughs> and we're going to sell them to the entire world and it's just it's a never ending twinkie hole you know uh, and, when I first and, heard and, her say that uh, it's a video interview so I could see her expressions her, her face lit up and the, you notice there's a change in her voice to this sort of like pitching it like a sale like 
but she was willing herself to believe that to be true or something is She absolutely creepy. did believe it to be true because what she wanted to be true. Uh, it's really hard to get your head around that, just that simple concept because it's not, well, it's simple, but it's mind-boggling for a normal human being that people would simply reject external reality, facts on the ground, because they conflict with what they want to be true. I mean, that's not normal for human beings. Human beings have eyes and ears and other senses that are designed to take in objective reality and, and, read and, to, modif- and to modify their actions based on that reality. These people don't have that. Their reality is what is in their heads, which is uh, motivated by their primitive drives. <clears throat> and unfortunately, their primitive drives aren't for sweetness and light and bunny rabbits. Their primitive drives are for domination, control, destruction, etc., and that's what they push for, and they create narratives and go on TV and spew out those narratives. Complex, highfalutin, noble ideals, a complete perversion of what their primitive drive is, which is just pure evil, essentially. And it comes out, it's twisted and uh, defined in, in, very noble, in a very noble way by their, by their conscious minds, and they give it to people, and people suck it up. And the only way to figure out that that's the case is to look at the results of their actions. Freedom and democracy in Iraq, 1.5 million people dead and the country destroyed and now supposedly overtaken by a group that's cutting the heads of people and going to invade the USA. That's freedom and democracy. That's what they brought. Ask Dick Cheney, he'll still tell you. We brought freedom and democracy to Iraq. It was a good thing that we got rid of. It was a good thing that we did what we did in Iraq. Look at the results. Look at Libya. When he, when he, look at Libya. When he looks at the results, he doesn't care. He just, you know, well, it's not my fault. We did a good thing anyway. But now, even though there's stuff going on there as a result, not, it's not as a result, it's a result of the crazy people in the Middle East, we'll just do it again. They obviously didn't get a good enough dose, a big enough dose of freedom and democracy. They need some more. I think so. If, and if, and this, is the way, this is the way people like Putin see this. When they yeah. see a, a monster, you know, uh, marauding across the planet, doing that with that effect, and he sees Russia, not, he may or may not care about the rest of the world. I'm sure he does because he lives on it. But certainly he sees Russia in the sights of that same monster. And he's, gonna, he's trying to take a stand against it. But it's a real slippery beast, you know. It's sneaky and divisive and it has that massive advantage over ordinary people, which is that it does not care. It, like he said himself, it looks at everything on the planet as a scientist looks at a lab rat observing its moves, observing its reactions, and programming or basing its, 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 uh, its strategy on the way that those that rats, those lab rats react. Yeah. And yeah. the only way that anybody's going to defeat it is to, to, to no longer be a lab rat, no longer react to those stimuli in that unconscious way. And that's why everybody on this planet needs to do the same thing, which is no longer react to the crass stimuli of dodgy videos supposedly cutting the heads of Westerners on, on, on TV. That's like a shock. That's Pavlovian dog stuff where the Western populations are being shocked. That's all it is, you know, to get you to do something. That's what Pavlov sh- shocked his dogs for, to try and completely control the dog so that he could get it to do whatever he wanted to do. And that's what their inten- intention is, and that's, that's, that's what these stupid videos are, you know? 
and just, you know, so you need to look at things and consider the situation. And like I, we were saying earlier on, consider it in the context of Saudi Arabia in the same Middle East, cutting the heads of women and men for stealing, you know, or cutting their hands off, cutting body parts off all over the place. I mean, it's not strange. And there's a, there's a picture I posted on Facebook of a British Marine, British soldier in Indonesia, in Malaysia, in 1953, holding the heads of two Malaysian villagers. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm not saying it's not real. The shock is real. Just like Pavlov's dog, the shock was real. But, you know, you need to find a way to understand what the motivation of giving the shock is. You know? Um, And learn to not react to it. Because, you know, this is, you know, the reason I posted that picture was because it was to try and point out that it's not so shocking. It's hyped, and the way the videos are produced and stuff is to try and really shock people, and the responses from Western politicians is to increase that shock by providing the salve. We will protect you, you know, this is extremely dangerous. They pose the biggest threat to the West since, you know, since Hitler. Since uh, Osama. Since Osama bin Laden. Or, no, well, but, you know, it's just don't react to it, you know, and understand that it's <laughs> people, having, people being de- decapitated in war is not strange. People, was a guy in the, in, the, in the Falklands War, at least one of them, probably many more, a British soldier in 1983 in the Falklands War, he was cutting the heads of um, Argentinian soldiers. So, you know, this is the world. This, again, it's like this is the reality and these are, there are people like this and maybe to some extent, you know, I mean, war is, war is not nice, you know. Um, people are turned into, most people are turned into animals in war and the problem is that war is promoted and created by these same psychopaths in power because that's what they like to do. Psychopathization of the entire human race, or the attempted. Moving on to something else. Yeah, go ahead. But we'll see how it can relate it into the grand chessboard. Uh, in a few days' time, Scots are voting on... <laughs> Here we go. That's all you get. So that's what happens when you say Scott. Oh, flower of Scotland. Yes, Scotland is voting for independence on Thursday, I think. Um, the question being put to voters is simply, should, should Scotland be an independent country? Yes or no? Now, in the terms of it, Scotland would remain a constitutional monarchy with the Queen as head of state. So as such the United Kingdom will remain the United Kingdom. However, I mean, as a few commentators are pointing out, if, if it is a yes, and it's starting to look like it will be a yes, I think 
there's probably going to be some momentum behind it for complete separation from the UK. For what? For Scotland? Of course. I mean, that's what it's for. Complete separation. It what, is you for mean, complete you separation. Mean, you mean geographically? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, they would retain the Queen as head of state. They would retain a bridge. In the sense, yeah. So that's only a symbolic. Uh, they probably retained the pound, so financially that's a big tie. But um, the reason why I think this is excellent, and if you're Scots, you should definitely vote I, is because anything that is a kick in the nuts to the financial elites who abuse London as their European beachhead for domination in Europe and elsewhere in the world is a good thing. So I want to see the Westminster government kicked every which way by a yes vote. Yeah. And there are obviously also other consequences. I mean, at that point, Wales could be looking at secession from England also. I think many English people would be happy with it too. And, of course, the consequences for the six-county statelet in the north of Ireland are also interesting because... They'll be now the most diehard unionists, and they'll be on a different island. Yeah. And they'll be even more isolated. So I think it's interesting for Ireland and the UK, but also there's more than that. I think it's another, another notch in the rise of nationalism. Mm-hmm. Now, the rise of nationalism is generally equated with, oh, my God, Racialism, Hitler, that's bad, bad juju. But even even though, even in the heated debate taking place in the UK about this, that is almost completely absent. There have been a few snide remarks from people in London jiving the Scots for this kind of equating their leader, Alex Salmond, with, you know, Nazi ideological whatever mm. drives. It doesn't take them much to... It doesn't take much to, to tarnish bring, anyone with that. To bring out the Hitler. But uh, across Europe, you've got increasing expressions of nationalism in the good sense, in the sense that it's a reaction to mm-hmm. this Western Atlantic mm-hmm. European Union tied with NATO, tied with US world domination. I don't think the Scots are thinking of it in those terms. I think it will be part of the European Union once... It succeeds. Mm. Nothing will change there. It will probably also apply for NATO membership, which is scary. Although maybe they're just playing that tune to keep the Americans happy and therefore their media and power out of the of the debate going on in Scotland. Um, yeah, it remains to be seen what... I mean, it's unlikely that Scotland, uh, as an independent country, would be able to kind of go it alone. Obviously, they'd have... They'd have much of the same kind of ties that it, uh, with with the rest of the world, with Europe, as, as that it has as part of the United Kingdom. But I think from an ideological point of view, it's it's important. Uh, uh, not that maybe many people are. I think many people in Scotland are actually seeing a lot of the yes people who, who want to vote yes um, are motivated by simply a dislike of the English. And no, <laughs> what? Well, that's, I think that's a major part of it in that they, want, they don't want to be associated with the United Kingdom because... I think they're fed up. They, they voted, they always voted in droves in support of a, a Labour government in the 20th century. Yeah. 
the Scots because as a smaller, let's say a smaller nation, a smaller community, if you like, there's less of this in England, this expressed to Toryism, this well, that's elitist, what pathological, that's what warmongering. That's why they don't like the English. Yeah, so they voted in Tony Blair and Droves in 97, and they were pissed with the results, mm-hmm. yeah. as were most English people, of course. Yeah. But the Scots have had enough. Yeah. No, and they're saying, we don't want our name behind what the UK government does. Well, who would? You know, a bunch of warmongering war criminals, you know? Um genocidal maniacs basically why would you want to be a part of anything that you know that they do or, or say or um so for that reason alone like i said they just and when i say they don't like the english i mean they don't like everything that england stands for as espoused by the english government and okay maybe they don't blame english people but the bottom line is you know the english people are represented by their government and uh, no matter how many protests there are against war it doesn't change so the next the best thing they can do is, is to secede essentially and uh, become independent and at least have uh, the ability to elect their own leaders who have an independent voice um, and but like I said Scotland has you know maybe five less than five and a half million people I mean that's big enough for it to be a European nation I mean there's other European countries have less than that you know so um, Iceland goes alone no problems there yeah they could do that, but you know, being part of that island uh, off the coast of Europe, um, they there would be a lot of natural o- ties, natural links yeah. uh, to the rest of England and Wales, and and then to Europe and stuff. So um, they could it could happen where they would kind of be a kind of an Iceland, you know, go it alone, have a very different uh, approach to to the the fat cat bankers, etc., and bailouts and whatnot, but. That would be ultimately a struggle for them to, to achieve that after independence. Um, One of the first things to go will be <clears throat> several trillion worth of oil and gas. Yeah, for the UK. In the so that's why, from my perspective... Bye-bye, Shell. Yeah, well, hopefully. Not, hopefully. Not being uh, Scottish myself, but uh, I would support Scottish people in sticking it, like you were saying, or not sticking it to, to, the, to Whitehall, to to London, you know, to the seat of government by because clearly they don't want it to happen. Uh, they would lose a lot of revenue and um, just general, you know, land uh, and, and the power and, uh, and a pop, five, five and a half million of the population. It's not a lot, but um, it's something. So my motivation in wanting it to happen is, yeah, to stick it to UK to give them something that they don't, they don't want to happen, you know, uh, to force it on them and to show them what real... Force them to put their money where their mouth is. Uh, freedom and democracy, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're in a bind right there because yeah, what can they really do? They tried it. They've had a dirty campaign, but they haven't gone to the extent of like they would do abroad and really up the dirty tricks by killing people, for example. Well, but <laughs> you can imagine, like they've got the. I should send IAS in there, you know, Al Qaeda in Scotland. Al Qaeda in Scotland, yeah. To mix it up. That's, that's worked in the past. Well, Joe, someone this week said there's an ISIS threat in Ireland. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I'm serious. What do they want? They hate us because of our potatoes. <laughs> they hate us because of our whiskey. Oh, our whiskey and our Guinness. Well, it is. It is uh, an infidel activity. 
drinking, so um, I can't. I, I would imagine, yeah, but actually, people wouldn't mind, you know. <clears throat> um, so yeah, bring it on, Scotland. Read on. Yeah, where's William Wallace when you need him? <laughs> well, we're, we're not under the illusions that, it, you know, this is going to bring any kind of nirvana for Scotland. But, for example, it would it's better than the situation it, in right now. Exactly. That way. It would take two years to come into effect. Anyway, I think 2016, the separation would take place. It's, it's the power of saying no. Mm-hmm. Even if the reasons why different people say no differ, Substantially, it's a no to the status quo. The status quo, while it historically has been stable and reaction to it has been fomented by the wrong elements. Mm-hmm. In our world, the status quo is the evil. It's the reactionary force. Mm-hmm. So it's a healthy... But vote yes for a healthy no. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like we said, Scottish people uh, came out in their in their thousands in 2003 against the Iraq war um, mm-hmm. the, the the government in London ignored them for me that alone is justification for saying okay listen we're not friends anymore you don't listen to us you don't agree with us you don't want what we want bye bye Moving on to a weather report. Here's Tom with the weather. <laughs> That's a Billy explain. Okay, so a couple of weird things. Yeah, they're not so weird to our listeners, but they're always exciting when they happen. So there were a major spate of fireballs the last week. We'd noticed a couple of weeks beforehand that things had gotten quiet in the skies. This seemed to be a couple of months for lesser activity, and then boom, 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 right at the end of August. Last week, um, I think on September 11th, was a big fireball of the States, and <laughs> uh, U.S. Strategic Command, NORAD, I'm not sure who, somebody like that said, that was just a Russian satellite disintegrating. Mm. Russian Blame Putin. Uh, within a couple of days, there were, oh yes, on September 7th, back in the middle of last week's show apparently, there was supposed to be a really close, but not so close, flyby of an asteroid. This is one they spotted a few, weeks, a few days before and said, oh yeah, don't worry, asteroid RC 2014, whatever it's called, it's going to fly by at such, at such and such distance. Absolutely no harm will come to anyone. That day there was a smack in an actual impact in Nicaragua. Not a very large crater, but the Nicaraguan government, I mean, they just said, yeah, we've just been hit by something. And in the course of the next few days, they said, yes, it was a meteor. They found a meteorite. And the same day, last Sunday in Spain, it was a massive fireball as well, caught on camera also seen across the Pyrenees here in France. And then another one, the biggest one I think I've seen in probably since the one in Russia a couple of years ago. You might have seen videos of these kinds of things. It's where there's a large body and it creates a kind of 
triangular mist-like plume. It's like a comet. Behind it. it looks like a comet. Well, this is the thing. The very first reports, people get excited about their on Twitter, and people's descriptions of it was, I don't know what that was, but the first thing that comes to mind is that looked like a comet. And I think they were spot on. There's very little video footage of it, even though it was seen from the north of Mexico, the whole way to Washington State along the western side of the U.S., with most reports coming from California. Um, it was reported September 12th. There's video footage from a security camera, and some, somebody got some handheld camera footage also. They sent it to a local news team in Nevada who reported the day after that uh, the U.S. Navy said, oh, that, that was us. We fired two missiles, two Trident missiles from a submarine off the Californian coast. <laughs> Just a test. <laughs> the people's comments under yeah, the right. story, they were definitely lying. The people's comments under the story, it's not that they didn't believe it as such, they were angry because, well, what the hell are you doing firing missiles over California into somewhere in Nevada? Uh, please, military, we love you. Please let us know when you're going to do something like that. It was but you could see it didn't quite fly. Yeah, it was Al-Qaeda in Nevada. They were firing missiles at Al-Qaeda in Nevada from California. I swear to God, that's really, really what was happening. Yeah. I have inside sources in now, the Department of Defense, and that's what they said. I've reported them. They saved just, they pretty much saved the entire population of Nevada. Just be thankful. <laughs> they, they've done this before. I've, I've reported on um, comet sightings immediately being, you know, more or less within, within the day at least, being claimed to have been missile tests of some, some sort or another. In this case, though, it was really, really poorly done because it was a day late. It had already been carried in Californian media as a comment slash media or some mm -hmm. description to then come the next day it's, uh, it's not going to fly so uh, what's going on here well there, there are a few other people who besides thought that they catalog these things and they've noticed a major upswing in the last 10 days or so um, interestingly there was a mainstream report in the UK I say mainstream it came from a tabloid so people said, oh, God, it comes from the Daily Express, therefore it's trash. And it was, in fact, a trashy article because the gist of it was the Earth is heading for the, in the next, say, several decades, going to go through a period of extreme close encounters and an increasingly high risk of an actual impact from some large body or other. Um, this was easily rubbish, but I've also seen other comments from astronomers, let's say, earlier this year, who also noticing the general upswing in fireball sightings. And they're not interested in predicting when asteroid X or comet Y is exactly going to pass us by. Mm -hmm. They're just noticing that the overall level of space debris flux is far higher. And and they're saying they're they're parlaying this into over the next what ninety years. Yeah, they're par well they're parlaying it into 
their concerns for to keep the funding coming. Yeah. I we serve a function as your astronomers to keep an eye on the skies. You give us the money, we'll be able to track the ten thousand asteroids we know about. Yeah. But it's all nonsense because they have no clue just how much mm. is out there. But they are saying that over was the report was over the next what ninety years was that it? Uh, ninety or hundred years. There's going to general be time frame. a general upswing in. Yeah, with with a with a serious chance of something hitting. Yeah. But that's entirely the wrong way to look at it. We're being hit every single day right now mm. by smaller objects, some of which are fairly. I mean, they're fairly large. They can at least uh, shatter glass. They can at least fragments can at least hit the ground. Yeah, well, that one in like Nicaragua. One, <clears throat> that hit right next to their airport. That one in Nicaragua was uh, was the first one that I remember seeing where an actual crater was, you know, at least all over the media. Yes. You know, uh, I don't remember there being one before. There was a Chelyabinsk one which uh, exploded in the atmosphere, but that's the first one that I remember. Remember in the past forever, basically, uh, since the Carolina Bays, <laughs> uh, of, of seeing a crater. I mean, it wasn't a very big crater. What was it, like 15 feet across or something like that? But 12 meters. 12 meters, okay. Well, then it was, yeah, 40 feet across. But, I mean, that's just... I mean, for me, that's a marker of something. That's the first time that's happened, you know? I mean, because all of this has a very strong component, uh, I think, in terms of um, human consciousness, you know? And when something like that happens, um, where everybody at least has the opportunity to see an actual crater, that's a step. It's a marker. For, it's a further step along the line that this is really real. Yeah. Because before it's like, you know, big kind of shooting stars. And then those chalibans, which was in the atmosphere, okay, but didn't hit the Earth, so whatever. It's, but psychologically, something actually hitting the Earth and creating a crater should make a lot of people, not that people will, but it should make a lot of people sit up and say, Hang on a minute. So a 12-meter crater, what if it was like a 120-meter crater? What if it was a 1,000? What if it was a kilometer-wide crater? But, you know, I just see this, you know, the evolution of it. It's a kind it of an unveiling. Follow, yeah, it seems to be following a, a process of, of bit by bit becoming more and more real. And you wonder at what point or how, how bad it has to get for people to actually sit up and take notice. Because you'll know when people sit up and take notice. Because when you go on your Facebook or your Twitter feed, you'll see everybody talking about it. And when you see that happening, then you know it's real. Then you know the big one has come. The, the billboard has fallen on people's heads. You know? Yeah. And when that's going to happen, I don't know, but it's, ha- it's progressing. There were a couple of major explosions and fires at at chemical plants again. Mm. We noticed it last year, and there was one that stood out because a fireball had been reported at the same time in the same area. Now, not suggesting that this particular fireball impacted mm. the site. As no. we've described before, they can have explode in the, di- in the atmosphere and, and have a discharge, almost like sending a bolt down. Or not even explode. Not, not even it's not to have electrical the passage effect. of it. Yeah. It carries so much electrical charge charged. potential that's different to the ground. ground yep. um, so there were a couple of there was a massive explosion in Germany last week, unexplained in the sense that of course it was an, they haven't investigated it yet. But at least in general, when something happens, they can more or less pinpoint. They have systems 
in place that can tell them, oh, well, this trip first, therefore it was that. But it's unexplained in the sense they have no idea, just explosion out of nowhere. Another one in Bridgeport, Connecticut, a couple of days ago. Mm. Somebody in the, in the chat room just said that there were 300 fireballs from an unknown meteor shower over the USA alone. From an unknown meteor shower, 300 fireballs. That's right. There was um, spaceweather.com, I think it's an offshoot of NASA, mm-hmm. monitoring. They have an all-sky fireball network. And on one day alone last week, they had 305 sightings in one night, something like a tenfold increase on their nightly average. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, they have a kind of model map that they used, and they plot, the computer will plot each concentric right. circle of wherever it came from. Mm-hmm. You couldn't make out anything on the map because there was just a a spaghetti hoop of loops and loops. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, and the story that went with it was they came from all directions that we have no clue. Incoming. What that was. So call it a hunch, but I think we're we're in, not about to be, we're in um, a massive Davis dream Mm -hmm. or number of streams. So... It's denser out there. We're going to have more fireballs in coming days and weeks. And possibly more impacts. Maybe a big one. More Russian satellites. Yeah. More Russian satellites. If in doubt, blame Putin. Yeah. Remember. When you see the headline in in the New York Times saying, uh, NASA surprised that number of Russian satellites (laughs) (laughs) uh, in the sky. NASA officials said he was... Surprised that Russia had so many defunct satellites uh, who were, <laughs> that, were, that were coming down uh, in the last week. But, you know, those just, Ruskies. But those Ruskies. And anyway, the point is, it's not a threat. It's just Russian satellites. Final weather wrap up. Uh, winter's come early. It's snowing in Canada and Dakota. South uh, Dakota? Uh, the earliest. Wyoming? Ever. Ever? Mm-hmm. The, the earliest right? ever in South Dakota, yeah. I don't know, several inches of snow. Well, just the earliest snow in September. Yeah. I mean, the earliest winter snow coming on whatever it was, the the 7th or 8th of September. Volcanoes are going off everywhere. And <laughs> there are, I don't know, I haven't kept count, but every other day there seems to be a new hurricane along the, east, the west coast of the U.S. Is, mm. that, is that normal? No, it's probably electrical in nature because of all the fireballs. I mean, hurricane season, I've always thought was... The Atlantic coast, but in the west, well, there's one after the other. No, well, there's not usually in that many on the on the west coast, but uh, also hurricane season is kind of uh, well, it's not finished yet, but it's kind of wrapping up because uh, you know hurricane season is the warmer summer months, particularly you know, um, once you get into September, October, it starts to fade. Although we have Hurricane Sandy on October 31st. I think you can forget about uh, seasons seasons anymore. I mean, you know, you're going to have one on Christmas Day somewhere, you know. Uh, last month they were telling us, um, meanwhile, in Arizona, where monsoon season is still ongoing, I was like, monsoon season in Arizona? Since when did that start? <laughs> yeah. It's Arizona, India. <laughs> <laughs> this is the same Arizona where the drought is taking place. Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. Monsoon, one day drought makes the next. sense. Yeah. It's fine. Just... Watch X Factor. It's all gone a bit Keep top, shopping. It's all gone a bit topsy turvy, and that's why people need to really pay attention. Uh, increasingly, all of our listeners need to be paying attention to what's going on, and you know, as best as you're able, uh, not identifying with it, not getting too, you know, worked up about any of it. 
you know, you're an observer, you know, you're, you're a spectator. It's interesting. It's a good show, you know, but... Um, well, you've got to get, get a little caught. bit mad. Well, you can enjoy the show, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to feel like you're part of it in that sense. Okay. Spectator. Uh, passive. No. No, participant. An excited spectator. Enjoying the show and shouting at the actors and stuff. But not thinking that it's real. Like you're going to jump up on stage and start taking part and get the bad guys and start beating them up and stuff, you know? It's a play, generally speaking. Anyway. Okay. We're going to wrap it up here. Yeah, I think we'll wrap it up there for this week. Uh, thanks to Harrison for being our most excellent co-panelist. Guest, co-panelist and our guest slash host slash what? Yeah, that's what you were. Thanks. Guest host. <laughs> um, we will be back next week with another show on an associated topic or topics. Uh, so until then, have a good day, night. Y'all, and take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.